but uh, welcome into the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Perry, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show, doing a live stream as well. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with that, hit the hit the YouTube and uh, find us on uh, Oregon Duck on Two Four Seven Sports. Uh, you can find us there as well. Hit hit the like and subscribe button on YouTube. Uh, greatly appreciate it. Uh, spread the word. There's a lot to get to. We're going to take your questions, and get, you guys will dictate kind of the show, the back half, uh, the front end. We're going to talk some additions to the team and some returns to the team because Jordan Birch dominated the headlines earlier this week. But um, Evan Williams, safety from Fresno State, an all-conference player, he has joined the program, and – we need to talk about this. It, it It's overdue. Jared made a good point before we were talking kind of about what we were planning on talking about in the show. Hey, Evan Williams, we haven't talked about him yet. Uh, this is a big get. All Mountain West Conference player at a position, guys, where, like, yeah, they have three seniors on the roster and Evan's a senior too, but the, the production and the depth both lack. And so this is – a. It, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if, if Evan Williams is your best safety and thus automatically is, is a starter as well. It's, it, I think there's no position on the team that's harder to kind of identify what the starting rotation or what that rotation will look like than safety right now. Yeah. Um, for starters, that nickel position, that was where Bennett Williams, Evan's brother, played almost exclusively last season. He's gone, and there's not a natural replacement. I know Jamal Hill played there first two years of his starting career, he was at nickel. So there's maybe a natural replacement there, but Jamal played deep all of last year. And he was one of their deep safeties the whole year. So I, I'm not sure if they want to switch that back up. Um, you've got Evan, you've got Jamal now, you've got Steve and you've got Brian Addison. Those are the, the first three guys are guys, or I should say the, third, the last, the second and third and fourth guys are all guys who played a ton last year and are also seniors and could in theory go pro or, or finish up their collegiate careers if they want to. So there's just a lot of uncertainty right now. I do agree that I think there's a pretty decent likelihood. Evan starts probably a pretty darn good likelihood. I think that's more likely than not. And it could be that he's the best safety in the team. I'm not ready to, to quite go there yet. Cause I could just also don't know who's around him, but you certainly like the addition. You like the experience I think the addition speaks to the fact that there's no clarity. Like I think the fact that you are adding a, a potential starter here to me says, okay, between Jamal, Steve, and Brian Addison, one of those guys, maybe two of those guys are back. Like I just don't see you adding Evan Williams if you're going to also bring all these players back as well, because there was a ton of safety minutes that were, you know, that to, to use, and almost every one of them went to those those three players I mentioned. Sorry, I was looking up uh, Evan Williams and his PFF grades and where he, where he, where, what his uh, snaps by position were. Um, he played free safety uh, basically exclusively at Fresno State right. and then lined up at that left or right outside linebacker position. Um, he played in the box for just under 200 snaps and then 250 of his snaps last season um, were played at free safety. So I would imagine he comes in and is a free safety for Oregon, although I think that they have good depth there. So they they will probably try to use uh, Evan and try to get him into that same position that Bennett was in and that nickel safety. Um, I mean, 
there are a couple players for Oregon safety room that I really like. Um, I really like Brian Addison. I do like Evan Williams and what he can provide. Um, and I do like Triquez Bridges as a safety. Um, I talked about this with uh, Jared Denny of on three last night after the men's basketball game, which went horribly, by the way, we're, we're not going to discuss that today. Um, we, I, we both think that Triquez Bridges is a better safety than he would be a cornerback. And we, we I, you know, we've, come to really like Traquez Bridges on this podcast and, and his stats indicate that he really performed pretty well under the final couple of games of the season. Um, so I, I think Oregon will, will try to mix and match here. Um, it would not surprise me at all if they keep trying to add people through the transfer portal to their secondary. Um, it's a, just a position of weakness right now. And Evan Williams, the, the addition of his certainly shores that up more um, just because yeah, he's, he was a solid player at Fresno State, you know, multiple-time you know, all-conference team guy. Um, and Oregon needs that in their second day. Like Eric went through, there's like four guys who could leave if they so decided, or they could all come back um, and they could have a deep room. But um, it's kind of hard to rely on anybody coming back, seeing as how obviously the transfer portal is there. Um, people could just want to start their professional careers um, either in football or outside of football. Um, and then you have guys like Cam McCormick who seem like they would be – eternally an Oregon duck who announced that they are entering the transfer portal. So it's a tough thing to bank on. Um, but I do think that you'll, you'll probably see a couple of those safeties back. It just depends on who, and then uh, it all comes down to positional versatility and Oregon trains those guys at free and, and deep and nickel safety all the time. But um, at that point, it just depends on who's best where, and there's no clear answer for a Bennett Williams departure other than maybe Evan, his brother, but, um, Judging by where he played last year for Fresno State and how good he was, I'm, I'm not sure if you really want to mess with that. Um, but you know, it's it's up to whoever is hired as the new safety coach. That's, that's the other yeah, part. That's, that's the other, other part one. of it. Um, it, it. Whoever is hired there, and then uh, I guess whatever Tosh and uh, Dan Lanning agree upon of of who's best where. So um, there's there's going to be holes to fill there, 100. percent And Evan Williams is a great addition, but there's still going to be some question marks, irregardless or regardless, irregardless is a silly word. I like it. It's, Are we all yeah. in agreement that we kind of expect the transfer to come from this position group? Yeah, I am. Transfer out or in? Out. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I probably. So. A transfer out or, or, or just to somebody gra graduates and just says, I'm just, I'm not, I'm, I'm done playing football. I know it's like, it feels weird to say that, but like between Stevens, Addison and Hill, those guys are all fifth or sixth year players in 23. Like, so at some point, we've talked about this a little bit before with Cam McCormick about at some point you just kind of go like, I'm not, do, do I want to keep? Yeah, at some point it's over. Yeah, it's like I don't, uh, yeah. I don't want to go to school anymore. Football is fine. I could we could start in your professional career. Yeah. No, so, I, I, I expect that'll be someone who leaves of that group. I, I almost think there could be two. You know, maybe one of one of the upperclassmen and one of the the underclassmen guys. Um, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. But well, that's, I, I think that – what? I was going to say that's the other thing is that Oregon's like underclassmen at safety is really tiny. They have Damon yeah. David, Trajan Williams, and then J.J. Greenfield, who's a walk-on. So they haven't necessarily been adding depth there, to say the least. They, they did sign a couple of prep guys. Though, they did, in, yeah. Yes. In the Canberra and Turner, who are, who are safeties. No, but you're but right. You're right. I, I, like, I'm not, find it. Yeah, we're not like expecting those guys to transfer out. No, no, right. And get sure. to Camera no. and, and Tyler Turner, but 
for, but yeah, like there's just not a lot of depth there. Um, especially if let's say, I don't know if all four of those guys decide to leave the program for one reason or another, like that suddenly you're, you're really looking at playing Tyler Turner, Cody DeCambro, like on a regular basis. And I don't think they want to do that. That's not the direction they want to go. Mm -mm. Safety, safety is a, uh, a, a, is probably the most mysterious position on the team. We don't know who the coach is, and there are a ton of guys who have a ton, a ton of starting experience and playing time. Um, and now that you add in Evan Williams, it's just it's it's really hard to kind of get a, a handle on how all this is going to play out, especially when you have hypothetically the possibility of a guy like Triquez fitting better at safety, and maybe that's something that happens. That's something we're pushing. That's nothing that's been said or communicated, but we're on the Triquez, maybe he's better at safety than corner train, and uh, there's just a lot to kind of parse through at safety right now. I think it's a position that there's, there's, there's more questions than answers for sure. I do think Triquez is better at safety, but he was really impressive in yeah, that game against North Carolina at corner. Mm-hmm. And I know they added Kyrie Jackson, but that's also a position group where the numbers are thin. And if you pull him, he, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm pretty sure he started over 10 games at, at corner this season. Um, if, if you pull him, I mean, you're, you're taking away your most experienced player at that position group. And the unit there, it's not loaded with talent either, like proven talent. No, no, and, and you're correct. It's like I want to see Triquez play safety just because I think that's his best spot. But he is a good corner. And Matt, like you mentioned, you know, behind him, there's, there's not a lot of anything. Christian Gonzalez is obviously gone. Um, and then you have Dante, Dante Manning and Jaleel Florence, Jaleel Tucker, Darren Barkins, Avante Dickerson, like all these guys who, you know, most of them were high profile recruits, but most of them haven't really seen the field for prolonged durations of time. And you, you kind of wonder, it's like, all right, so which one of these guys is going to be a lockdown corner? Because maybe Kyrie Jackson is, I would pencil him in to start now, barring another transfer or something like that, or, you know, Manning or Florence, you know, stepping up in the off season. But that's still not Christian Gonzalez. I mean, Christian Gonzalez is going to be a top 15, top 20 pick in the NFL draft. And Triquest Bridges, you at least have, um, like, there's consistency there. You have reliability. You have a guy who knows how to play the position and has done so for the last two seasons. And so maybe I don't, Maybe that's another position that they look to add in the transfer portal. Sure. I, mean, I know, uh, you know, Georgia's uh, Jaheim Singletary transferred. Um, just the other day, or entered the portal just the other day, form a five-star commit in class of 22, 21, originally committed to Dan and company at Georgia. So maybe that's somebody that they go after. Um, but it's tough because I'm sure we'll get to this later in our Q&A because of the, the scholarship numbers. It's already happening in our in our chat over here to my right, yeah. wherever else you guys are looking on the screen. Um, but yeah, it's good. It's just tough because they're going to need – they, they might need another guy or two at, at both nickel or excuse me, both safety and corner. Jared, from my perspective, it's to your left. To your, yeah, to, yes. And for you, it'd be to my, anyway, yeah, we're getting, this is stupid semantic of, of where the chat window <laughs> is, is for each Excellent. of us, from each perspective. Can I ask a very unscripted question? That I just kind no. of, kind of dominant. Okay, I won't. Um, all Damn. right, Matt, what, <laughs> Matt let's move. Here's what, here, I was just sitting here thinking about, about, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, the cornerback position about, oh, should they add, should they not add? And then the, and then the added element of 
could there be a, you know, a player like a Florence or a man who kind of pulls through? Do you think we start overlooking to a certain degree player development because of how easy it is to go add plug and play players? Like, I'm, I'm not saying the coaches do, but do you think, I mean, because I, I feel like I'm, maybe this is more, more of a personal admission than it is a, a question for you guys, but I find it really easy right now to go, oh, they'll just go get a guy in the portal because of the ease of which that is, which of course for decades was not the case. You couldn't just go find a guy who was a starter at Iowa and move him yeah. over across the country to come here. I feel like sometimes we overlook the possibility of a player just getting way better in an offseason. Like, and I'm not even going to say who this player is because the offseason is just starting and that would be ludicrous for me to suggest. I think Jaleel Florence is going to improve 10 Madden points or however you want to, 10 NCAA football overall ranking points in this offseason, like however you want to kind of market. But I do think one of the things we don't spend enough time maybe kind of outlining when we think big picture at this time of the year is who can just get a lot better. And there are going to be players, and I think maybe part of that uh, is because under Mario, it didn't always feel like that took place, not to take too many shots. But I think player development was always something that people sort of suggested wasn't maybe as good as it could have been. But I also think there are some really talented young guys on this team who had either small roles last year or no roles last year who, like, I wouldn't be surprised to take a big step. And frankly, they need that. And, you know, know, when I posted my defensive too deep hypothetically on the message board yesterday – a lot of people are like, gosh, that looks terrible. A lot of guys who are unproven. And there are a lot of guys there that they're going to rely upon who are unproven. But those guys, are, most of them are really highly regarded recruits who could, in theory, take a huge step from where they were this past season to where they could be. I don't know. I've just been thinking about it. I just think we spent so Marcus much Marcus Harper is a perfect example of that. Yeah, there's a guy. Right. So, yeah, no, I don't know. Just put, tossing it out there. Just like I think player development is a thing we almost kind of overlook these days just because of the ease of like, hey, we're just going to go grab a guy at this position of need and, and put him here. There could be some guys in this team who really take steps, and I think that has to well, be hope. I, I think the guy that would that I instantly gravitated towards was Keith Brown. Um, he looked really good, and again, it's just one game, and you don't want to make too much ex, many expectations off one game. But he looked the part of a linebacker in that North Carolina game, and it felt weird that in a game in which. Noah Sewell didn't play. Justin Flo had transferred. Your two highest-rated players mm-hmm. you've ever signed at that position were not on the field in that game, and yet the linebackers were good. No, yeah, the yeah. linebacker. I mean, I thought that was really encouraging. Yeah, so maybe, maybe Keith Brown's that guy you're talking about. I don't know. I think Eric, to answer your question, how player to, it definitely gets overlooked because nowadays it's just a plug and play. You're like, oh, I need a wide receiver. Check. I go into the transfer portal. Got him. I need an offensive lineman. Jack. I need a quarterback. Jack. You can you can go in and it's like going to the grocery store. You're not just pulling from a lottery machine. It's like, well, I might get a carton of eggs and some milk. And I can just go into the store and get some. Um, but player development is still extremely important for all of these programs because you it, we've talked about this before, or at least I have on this podcast, where you, know, you look at a team, we, we all talked about it. You look at a team like Colorado who has the best transfer portal class in the country and it's got all of these, you know, really formerly good players at their previous institutions on it. It's, it's 10 guys, it's 10 to 12 guys. That doesn't, that doesn't equal immediate success unless it's a, an outstanding quarterback. Like, you know, for Oregon's transfer portal additions last year, like 
they were good. They were solid. They were starters. They they contributed to the team. But the most important one was obviously Bo Nix because that's your quarterback. You win and you win and lose by how how well your quarterback performs during a game. And but other than that, it's just like more or less uh, more or less just kind of depth pieces. Like you want really talented guys who start. Like Christian Gonzalez was obviously really instrumental to Oregon's defense this past season, even though it wasn't a good defense. Like it really helps when you have good players because if you accumulate enough of them, you might have a good offense or a good defense. But all that really matters is what your quarterback can do because you need the internal development of everybody else on the roster, the 60 plus other guys on the roster to, to formulate a team. It's obviously it's a team sport and it's, you know, it's no different in the NFL. It's no different in college football, no different in, in basically every sport in, on, you know, on the globe, except maybe for golf. Well, I think Eric, to your your question or your point, like UCLA will be a good case study to that because yeah, Chip Kelly does not he does not really recruit high school guys uh, or a lot of them. He does, but he doesn't sign mass amounts of them anymore. And you know, for the second year in a row, they're loading up on transfers. I mean, they, shoot, they got they got a guy while we were recording this podcast, uh, Jim Michael Struvent from Cal. Oh, goes good, to UCLA. It's a nice addition. You know, good, good player. So that would be a case study to your to your point of what do the Bruins look like this season with a freshman quarterback and Dante Moore and then a bunch of transfers around him. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. It's certainly. I think it's just. An, it's not even Oregon specific. I think it's just on a national landscape of like how does all of these portal additions impact player development? Do players still get developed the way they need to, or do coaches go? Ah, oh, well, we'll just go grab a guy from Eastern. East Carolina or wherever and, and right. put them in at the spot. Uh, returning, let's, let's go here. Um, Dorless and Casey Rogers announced, I think almost like back to back, or was it the same day even? It was a day apart. This week I has think. had a lot of, no, it was two, a day, lot of two, day, two days apart. Cause two days cause, apart. Yeah. Cause Dorless was Sunday and, and Rogers was Tuesday. Yes. Yeah. Think so, <laughs> um, but nonetheless, Dorless is back. Your best defensive lineman, um, Rogers is back. A guy that made a game-saving tackle, really solid. A guy that we all were kind of like, "Hey, he's just going to be a guy. He's going to be a jag." When he showed up, and is you, you you couldn't afford to have him off the field for long stretches of time. He was that. He, he was very impressive uh, in his first season. And now the defense kind of is rounding into form. The addition of Jordan Birch, uh, Mateo joining the group, like Purchase, Jared's guy, pointing the group as another edge guy, Funa coming back at the North Carolina or the um, Holiday Bowl MVP on defense. Um, I, I, I think it's fair to say with, with Dorless back and Casey Rogers back that this unit should be the strength of the defense in 2023. We kind of said that this past year. They were decent against the run. They were not very good against the pass. But I, I think this is another year in which up front they should be solid, solid, really solid should be like their floor for, for, for this season. Well, it's constructed in a way where you at least know you have experience. You've got a ton yeah. of experience, right? I mean, it, I, I was just pulling up the story I wrote earlier this week after the Rogers news and it's 75% of the snaps 
played at along the defensive line and at edge are back now with all of these returnees. Matt ran through them five in total, uh, four guys who played extensively this year, and then Popa, who didn't play this past year, but who everybody had kind of penciled in as a, as a starter going into this 2022 season after starting every game a year ago. Um, obviously excited that he was able to get uh, another additional year through the through a waiver. Um, but no, I think you, you you look at this group and you go, there. there's a ton of continuity, a lot of experience. Birch, obviously, is a huge addition. We talked a lot about that on Wednesday, so I don't want to go over that too much. But there's enough experience where they – where that part isn't the issue. And now it's a matter of, are they talented enough? Do they have the athletes? Because they really haven't changed too much who is there. And I, you know, I think I go back and I look at this season and, you know, when we did our letter grade, I, I kind of recapped our letter grades uh, last Friday, I think. Um, I the defensive line is the best group on defense. And I, and I had it by a pretty decent margin. And I, I think that holds up the more you look at the way the year played out. Um, the pass rush stuff wasn't great. There's no question about it, um, but against the run, they were effective. Uh, you know, I, I think the guys you have back, you can kind of, in at least theory, have a skeleton idea, you know, I guess a skeleton crew kind of idea of what this looks like next year, and, and you can feel decent about it. Like, it's not – like, I talked earlier about safety where it's like there's a bunch of guys back, but I don't know how it all fits. I can pretty clearly see or have an idea of what this defensive line and this edge position kind of looks like next year of – Birch to me feels like somebody that is just replacing DJ Johnson, and that's where he's going to play. Maybe he shows up, and they want to put him, have him play, put a hand down, and and that moves Dorless to the defensive tackle position. Casey Rogers played, and then you maybe move Casey Rogers somewhere. But like you could pretty easily just say it's the same starters as last year, except for DJ Johnson is gone, and you're replacing him with Birch, and Jordan Riley is gone, and you're replacing him with either Taki Taimani or, or Popo Amavai. The rest of the guys are the same, right? Because Casey Rogers was playing that defensive tackle position next to him and Dorless was playing the other end position. So you could easily just say because of all these returners that it's like it's just as simple as just kind of shoring up these spots, which I think is a positive. There should be some continuity there, which I think we know is, is, is a big deal. And then the addition of Birch is huge because we saw with Dorless, think about how much better he was with Kayvon Thibodeau next to him. Think about all the attention Kayvon Thibodeau took that allowed Dorless to have one-on-one -on -one matchups. Well, this year that wasn't necessarily the case. I don't think DJ Johnson attracted the same amount of attention, and that kind of kept Dorless pretty bottled up for the most part. I mean, I don't think the stats are atrocious. It's not significantly worse than what he'd done in the past, but it certainly wasn't a breakthrough step forward season, which going into the year, remember, that was what we are talking about. Okay, where do these sacks come from? Kayvon's gone. It's going to be DJ and Dorless. And those guys, mm -hmm. I think, ultimately led the team, but I think Dorless had three sacks all season two and a half or three sacks. So yeah. they need more out of him. And I think there's an opportunity for them to get more now that, that he'll have uh, Jordan Birch next to him, kind of maybe taking some more of that attention. Yeah. And there, there, there will be plenty of opportunity for Dorless. It, you know, he, he plays a difficult position for, to, to get sacks or to get like really good counting stats as a defensive end, more than like someone coming off the edge and for someone that Oregon kind of switches up their rotations with and, puts his hand in the dirt, has him stand up every once in a while. Um, but regardless, he's still a really productive player. And even with you know the lack of somebody on the edge to really um, take away a, an offensive lineman against him, he still finished the year, according to PFF, with 40 quarterback hurries, um, four hits, two sacks, uh, according to PFF, which is really good at the end of the day. That's really good. And that's double the, the amount of quarterback hurries that DJ Johnson had. Um, I, I mean – 
we want to we went over this on Wednesday just to, or Wednesday Tuesday one of those days about how good I think Jordan Birch will be and how important it is that he's you know putting himself into this program just as a pure edge rusher and Eric just went through it too just you know that changes the the complexities of this defensive line um, and you know it, I think it's a clear upgrade over DJ Johnson you know I think Popo Amavai and Jordan Riley you kind of just like a cross out. I think they're the same kind of caliber of player. I think Popo is probably a better uh, pass rusher. I think Taki Taimani might play in more early rundown situations than Popo Amavai. But again, you would still have Casey Rogers, Brandon Dorless, Jordan Birch. Like I really like that group of, of really like that group of guys there. Um, and so I, I agree with both of you guys that the, the defensive front should be, um, it should be the, the mainstay of the defense. That should be the the best unit, at least on paper right now, that you can confidently say, like, yeah, if, if there's a position group on this defense that's going to do well, it's probably the front seven. It's probably the defensive line. And lastly, um, they've accumulated so much depth now on the edge, yeah. on the and the interior defensive line. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that they didn't have depth last year because I thought they had you know, a decent amount of depth with Keon Ware Hudson and Taki Taimani coming off the bench. Riley and Rogers were two guys, like Matt said, that we just thought, eh, all right, they're depth pieces. They won't really contribute. Well, they started every game. Um, I count that as depth as well. But now you have all of these defensive linemen from across the country coming in in the class of 2023. You have some edge guys and Purchase and Uyunglele, Jaden Moore. Um, there's still probably some people who might transfer out just because that's a position that has restocked. And if, you know, depending on where you are, we're on the depth charts beforehand, you might be even lower now. Um, but it's full of both experience, like Eric brought up and this new newcomer group where, you know, you hope that one guy pops, you hope that one guy becomes, um, I won't, I won't say like a KT type of player, but some guy becomes a, a contributor from the, from the first day. And they have so many guys that it seems like, even if they miss on a majority of them, there's still still a really good chance that one or two of those guys pops and becomes an immediate contributor. Quick calculation in my head. They have 17 defensive end, defensive tackle, def nose tackle players for 2023. That's, that's, too, that's, that's like way too many. <laughs> that's like five too many, four too mm -hmm. many. And so like Jared's right, there's, there's going to be – there's going to be movement here. Like if you had to pick point one position group, it's got to be this one that we see transfers. And, and I don't want to name names, but I think it's pretty easy, pretty elementary exercise to look at the names of guys on scholarship who just haven't played and say probably some pretty obvious names there that, that you can look at and go, oh, that would make sense for this guy, that guy, and this other guy to go. Mm-hmm. I hate that it comes to that. I say that every podcast. But, every podcast. But it's the reality of it. It's 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 a it's a hard line business. It's about it's about winning football games. And right now, there are guys on this team that help you win football games in a much greater manner than guys that who, a lot of the guys who frankly haven't really proven they can play at this level. There's there are several guys that have been here two or three years who haven't played really at all and just kind of go like. They're not going to play this year. Everyone's back, and they've added guys. There's, there's, there's almost, <laughs> almost no outcome where a couple of these guys are going to work their way into the starting lineup and be that kind of a player. There's just enough. There's so many. There's, there's several of those guys. Yeah, and I don't want to name the names. You can look at the roster and figure it out. 
But if you're asking where are these portal out, you know, uh, departures coming from, kind of take a look at some of those guys at that spot, I think, in particular. Yeah, and we uh, – just another quick thing. We talked about player development earlier. Um, two or three years in, there, if there is no obvious development in your player, then I don't – there's usually not going to be one in year three or year four or year five after that. So, like Eric said, it's not a very difficult exercise if somebody would like to go do that. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll dive into your questions. We've already got a good amount on the live stream. Highly encourage you guys to uh, follow us on YouTube. Uh, pretty simple to find us. Oregon Ducks on 24-7 Sports on YouTube. Drop in a question, like, and subscribe as well. All right, welcome back to the Austin Idols podcast. Uh, let's start here with um, – that was the wrong one – with Taylor Johnson. Um, do you guys think Cam leaving had to do with maybe school and wanting to go somewhere that offers the next degree he wants to do? Um, Eric, you did the interview, but so you can touch mm-hmm. base with the school part. Um, I, I, I just think this is Cam – Wanting to get to the NFL, which everyone at this level probably wants to do, and looking at the roster, he's not going to be a starter in, in 2023 at Oregon. And if he wants to get to the NFL, he needs reps. No, I, I think that I think there's a lot of factors here, but to me, that's that's probably the biggest one. I just remember back in this past August at Oregon Team Media Day, everybody's kind of seated. You go through and you can walk up and interview a variety of different people. And I remember talking to him about that and like, what, what, what do you think about coming back for an eighth season? And his response <laughs> was basically like, I don't really want to do that unless I need to prove that to make it to the next level. Right. I'm, I think it's pretty clear. He knows if he were to enter the NFL draft or start a professional career, however, he ends up doing that. It's going to be difficult for him to stick somewhere. He hasn't really done enough to prove. And I think there are enough, question marks and red flags, unfortunately, and I think probably va- there's some validity to these about his health, given his career. I don't think anybody drafting or signing him to a, a roster is going to say, hey, we feel great about this guy. He's played one out of the last four years and got, or one of the last five years and made it through like that. Yeah, it just that just feels like a lot. So I do think that plays certainly a role. I do think to the academic part, like I think that's something you can't overlook either, because I remember when we chatted with him most recently back in December, like in two separate interviews, asking him, like, what would you even do academically? Like, again, you've yeah. gotten, you've done your graduate degree. You've gotten, like, I mean, what what would you be working on? And he was kind of like, I would probably take some, maybe some yoga classes. Maybe I'd work on some business classes to learn how to nice. make some money. Like, but there wasn't a real clear answer for him. And, and, and I don't know, but maybe he did find a school or maybe he will find a school, I should say, where there is something that offers a degree he's more interested in. But at the same time, I think he's looking for the football fit. I think that's pretty clear, which is why he's going across the country to Miami to take a visit, it sounds like, potentially. Um, you know, Because if it was just about academics, and maybe it is, if it was just about academics, he wouldn't be looking at a school like Miami, I don't think. That doesn't make a ton of sense to me for just a purely academic situation, if that's where you want to finish at your schoolwork. Can we all, just the, say, all the way across the country. Can we just say, like academics matter for these guys but it's like hardly ever the number one or even the number two thing they pick a school like 
I think. Yeah, I mean, a, it just depends on who the kid is. May, yeah, out of high school, maybe sometimes, but in this case, instances, I don't think so. Sorry, Jared. Go ahead. No, I have a couple of things to say about Cam, and I don't want this to come off as sounding mean or anything like that. First, anybody, any college kid in his position where he's going into his eighth year of school, um, any normal college kid would be in a doctorate program, and Cam has not or is not in a doctorate program that we know of. And I guess theoretically could be going uh, now to wherever he's going next to get into a doctorate program, but that's just going to add four more years. And um, if I were him, I would have used the eligibility of, that I could get my tuition paid for, for my doctorate program, but that's just me. Secondly, I'd like to address the whole, uh, he's leaving to go be a starter somewhere. Is he a starter anywhere? Not at that's Miami. Question. <laughs> Where then? Where would he be a starter? Uh, probably going, you have to go down a level. Most right. Likely, so, right? yeah. And the, again, I don't want any of this to sound mean. I just, I'm thinking about things um, like, like numbers wise. Like, what, like for in the NFL aspirations, I don't anticipate an NFL team drafting a 25 year old tight end who's played one and a half healthy years in his eight yeah. years of a college. Who would like, again, um, and, you know, a player like Anthony Brown was considered just significantly too old to be a quarterback who was drafted and had one good year and was healthy for one or like two full seasons, one at Oregon, one at Boston College. So I, I, I don't know. I I think Cam, if I were him, this is what I would do in this scenario where I'm granted these extra years of eligibility. I would get out of Oregon and I would go wherever I want in the country if they would have me. Like I wanted to spend the last two years of my college existence before I get a real job in Miami. Sure, let's do it. Arizona, like, Texas, sure. Cam's, wherever Cam's, Cam's having his Ramspringer year, basically. He's just going to go do well, have a crazy year before settling into real life. You know, if I could get tuition paid for and play football and live in Miami and go to the University of Miami, where I already have a very nice relationship with the coaching staff, sure. And I get another graduate degree. Doesn't sound too bad for me. But I just think the... I know that that Cam is obviously going to go somewhere where he anticipates he will get playing time, but um, I just I, I don't know. I don't see that really happening, no matter where he goes. Yeah, enjoy enjoy a new experience in life while you can. Yeah, have fun. Do it. Take advantage of the system. He's getting his eighth and ninth year of tuition paid for. Then go then somewhere Mi else. Have fun. Mi Miami sounds really nice. It I'm, sounds great. Uh, sign me up. Especially to when you could probably get a big fat nil deal. Sure, from John Ruiz. Yeah. yeah, the more it sounds like. Come guys, on I, down, Cam. I, I hate to hate to say it, but I, I will be leaving this podcast to go to Miami to take a, a job at a Miami <laughs> podcast. Well, you do have a place to stay in Miami. I, so. I do have a place to stay. <laughs> so we don't have to talk worry. about that. I, I do have a I do have a place <laughs> locked in. It's it's. I've heard it's pretty spacious. Um, I would see, look at this one. Let's, All right. look at, let's go to Fish uh, Bio. Uh, the pundits in their way too early top ten. Um, say the biggest question mark for the Ducks next season is the offensive line. What say you? Um, I mean, I think the other side of the football is a lot more question marks than <laughs> there's a lot more question marks I, I, on yeah. the defense than there is on the offensive line. This goes to um, we'll preview here. We had Brandon Marcello, Eric, and I. We had a conversation with him that will come out next week. Uh, national recruiting, national writer for college football for 24-7 sports. 
Um, Eric asked him a way too early top 25. And what was the name change that you guys he came up like, with? He, he already calls it his stupid top 30 or something like that. I forget. Yes. The word stupid was in it. I don't recall. The name yes. Part. Stupid top 30. Um, and it's because a lot of these – and I'm, I'm not including Marcelo because he actually knew and knows quite a bit about a lot of these teams um, ahead of time. But a lot of these top 25s, they just look at, hey, th- this group is losing these three guys. This group is, you know, they're just looking at the stats. And it's hard It's hard to do it. I, I think there's a famous phrase when you're in like a national perspective of you know a lot, but you don't know a lot in depth uh, about all the topics. Um and I look at these outlets that say maybe there's, a lot, there's questions along the offensive line. That's just them looking at it and saying, oh, wow, uh, they lose four starters this season. That That's going to be a change. Well, they also don't probably know that Stephen Jones has been like a off and on starter for the last three seasons and wasn't a starter this season because he got hurt. Um and the injuries that forced Marcus Harper onto the field and the injuries that the last two seasons with Alex Forsythe that forced JPJ onto the football field. Like that's where the in-depth stuff doesn't come through for some of these guys where yes, they lose four starters, but I think all of us would agree like Oregon's offensive line is probably going to be pretty good next season. There'll be some bumps because there's new faces, but the experience and the talent isn't lacking. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I think the other thing is, is, you know, and I think we're subject to this too, but you know, the, the, the additions to the portal that attract the most attention come from the positions we talk about the most. So we spend a lot of time yeah. talking about a Bo Nix at quarterback or a Bucky Irving at running back or whatever position, but we don't really talk about offensive line in the same way. They're just not, you know, I, I know people really value offensive, like, like a, there's a reason left tackles are one of the positions that are drafted at the top of an NFL draft because protecting your quarterback is super important. But I think when you talk in college terms, and a Johnny Cornelius addition, who again is like the top portal, one of the top portal offensive linemen in the entire country, that addition kind of just gets overlooked a little bit because he's from Rhode Island. He plays a position that again isn't one of the sexy positions. Um, same kind of thing with uh, Angelau because you look at him and go, he didn't even really play this last year. People kind of forget about him. This guy's a two-year starter at Texas, comes in, probably plug and play. So I don't share those concerns about Oregon's offensive line. I, I don't expect it to be the strength of this offense because you've got your your veteran quarterback back who could be a Heisman Trophy candidate. You've got your running back and Bucky Irving back who everyone knows is super special. You've got a ton of talent at receiver. Tight end is, again, we talked about it on Wednesday's show now that McCormick is gone maybe your biggest question mark on offense just because you only have three guys, but the talent there is good. Um, yeah. So I, I, I don't hold too many concerns back to fish bios question. I, I don't think that's the biggest concern for this team at all. I think it's very much still defensive related. And, and honestly, like my big concern more than anything is probably still like, kind of like what happens in the secondary. I mean, I think the defensive line has been shored up. We talked about that. Linebacker, of course, still a concern. We'll see what happens, but there, I think, are bigger questions on the back end, especially with the lack of a safeties coach, which you sort of need to be uh, a pretty good defense. Yeah, and to to answer Fish Bio's question, just real quick, I mean, it's exactly what Matt said. These are guys who are just national writers who don't have the in-depth information on every team because it's basically impossible to have that kind of inside, in-depth analysis for every team. Um, it's 
really hard. It's like 160 plus teams in the country to have some idea about. And when you just scan it over and you see, wow, Oregon's losing four offensive line starters. Like, yeah, that objectively, that looks bad on paper. And that could be seen as a weakness. But it kind of reminds me of what um, the 2019 to 2020 team happened where Oregon loses uh, four, well, I guess all five of their offensive starters with Panay Sewell but four on paper after the season is over. But their offensive line the next season under Mario Cristobal was still good. And, you know, I expect that Oregon's offensive line is going to be good this upcoming season. Um, I, I really like Junior Aguinaldo. Um, I think that he's just a plug-and-play guy, like Eric mentioned, uh, you know, multiple-year starter at Texas. He grades well. He's physical. He looks good in his position. And then a Johnny Cornelius, I think, is a little more of a question mark, only because he's coming from Rhode Island. But – um, you watch his film, you watch his game breakdown against uh, Pittsburgh, who had one of the better pass rushes this past season. Um, he was good. He was good. He moves really well. He's got great size. He's somebody who's either going to play right or left tackle. I think Eric and I are in agreement that he plays right tackle. And then Josh Connerly Jr. plays left tackle, which, again, is another guy where it's like, oh, darn, we lost four guys. Oh, darn, we only have a bunch of four-star recruits and transfer portal guys who are multi-year starters at another power five level school, except for Rhode Island who are coming in like uh, shucks. Um, they'll be fine. Uh, let's go to this one right here. Oh, wrong one again. Come on, Matt, pick the right one. There we go. Uh, Larry Armitage, who's your favorite transfer so far that will make the biggest impact? I'm assuming in 2023. Yeah, I think so. No. 2026. 20, Oof, that's tough. Damn, that's, that's a, a long ways path. away. I don't even know who's in the um, portal. <laughs> this is a good question. I haven't. Yeah. This, I, good. I'm going to go to a position group that I don't think gets a lot of love. Uh, Johnny Cornelius. Like, maybe the best tackle transfer in the portal this year to date. And. They're going to lose TJ Bass. They're going to lose Big Sala. Bass being the better of the two. Sala is still being really good. Um, everybody wanted Cornelius, and Oregon got him. I think that's one that he doesn't play a position that he only gets talked about if he makes a mistake. And I, I, I think uh, this will go down as one of the bigger gets for Oregon in, in this recruiting class. It's maybe not the most like talented dude, but I think he's going to make a big impact at Oregon right away. Yeah, I, this is probably re- recency bias, but I, I still think it's Birch. Um, yeah. I just didn't want to pick Birch because everyone's going to pick him. I know, Matt. Good way to be the you know, way to be the uh, contrarian. No, I, but I think I think Cornelius is a good second pick because I, I was just kind of thinking through there, like, okay, offensively, there's not really anyone who's going to touch the ball and be the biggest contributor with the ball in their hands on offense that has been added. I think Tess Johnson and Trayshawn Holden will probably be like second, third, third or fourth leading the team in receiving. I think both those guys could start or play big roles. So I'm not discounting that. I think Jordan Birch is your potentially your best defensive player. I think that's the kind of ceiling you have there. Um, and certainly if, if this isn't the case, you're in trouble, but should be your best pass rusher. And again, if he's not your best pass rusher and he doesn't provide much pass rush, I don't know. That's that's a bad 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 starting point. That's concerning. So um, I I I think Birch, and I think it's it's pretty clear cut. I don't think there's really anyone else defensively. You could maybe make an argument for Justin Jacobs if he ends up being a starter and, and plays at a really high level. But I I I'd go Birch. I, I wasn't that didn't 
there was very little hesitation for that pick. The answer is clearly Birch. Um, as I announced how much I really like his, his play style on, on uh, the last podcast. However, I will be making the case of Justin Jacobs today. Um, I think this is a linebacker that, that should fit into Dan Lanning's system quite well. Um, he's a big dude. He's 6'4", 238 pounds. Um, he's, really on, he's another guy whose body composition and his style of play and his type of physique that he has is not really on Oregon's roster. Um, but you watch the defenses in the national championship game, specifically Georgia's, obviously. Um, that's a team that uses those big linebackers and gets them downhill into um, rushing the passer. And you know, I think that was ex- ex- uh, I thought that was missing a lot this past season with Oregon's linebackers. Is there or was their inability to rush the passer, which gives a lot more attention to Brandon Dorless and company because the, you know the offensive line doesn't have to care about these two linebackers coming down in the pass rush. So. I really like Justin Jacobs. I've watched a lot of his film. Um, this is a guy who was hurt really early in his third season, uh, third playing season at Iowa. Um, but he was a, a, you know, projected at the start of the seasons to be like a day two NFL draft guy. Um, a lot of upside here. Um, you know, I don't think I don't think we know what his status update is on his injury from Iowa, but it's been plenty of months where he he should be back to back to his normal levels of play. Um, and he's going to get a lot of reps because right now he's the one of the most experienced and most talented linebackers on the roster, probably the, the number one in both of those categories. Um, I just think that it's going to be a different style of linebacker than Oregon is used to, even with Troy Dye in the past. Um, but I, I do really like him as a player. I think he'll be an impact guy immediately, mostly because he has to. Matt, Matt yeah, I, have a, I have a question if you don't have Go one. for it. Because um, I, I just think it's it's worth kind of bringing this up, if the possibility of this from Miguel Cruz, crazy as it seems, but do you see Oregon adding more transfers? Um, yes. The reason it's crazy <laughs> is that Oregon's at ninety five uh, ninety five yeah. scholarships right now. They're ninety five. Like, could they get to a hundred at some point here? I have no idea. Like, uh, obviously, you can't be there when the season starts. But this is the part, and that, my answer is also yes, as Jared said, and I think Matt will say as well, is I, I do think they'll continue to add, and they'll add to the portal. They're still obviously in on Nicholas Harbor. We mentioned they're in on Roger Pleasant. Um, there are a couple of players that are, are, are being mentioned uh, in the chat here. I don't know if we want to go into all of those, Matt, but there there are several other notable portal players that Oregon's already been attached to. Uh, Gary Bryant Jr. is the name I'm seeing from USC, a receiver yep. that Greg Biggins just – 24, 48 hours ago is saying they're kind of in conversations to set up a visit. Um, I, I think Oregon is not done adding, which is a weird thing to say because I know so much concern is out there right now of like, oh my gosh, how do they get to 85? That's the big mm-hmm. point. And the unfortunate answer to that question is it's by players leaving, either going pro, medically retiring, or hitting the portal themselves. So um, I don't know if you know, if, I don't even know if anyone else here needs to answer this question because I think it's a consensus yes. I just wanted to answer it to kind of to put that out there that people so people understand so they're not surprised when next week there's a couple other guys who join the program or in February when they sign a couple of prep players. Like I don't think Oregon is done adding to this roster, which again is so strange considering where they're at from a numbers perspective, but it will all work its way out. Yeah, I mean I I, I would say yes too. Um and to maybe transition to just another name out here could Oregon maybe get Jaheim Singletary from Georgia um this is a I believe a former five-star cornerback 
was a I have another. 20- I have another name to add from the Georgia list. Um, yeah, there's a bunch that hit the portal today M- while we've been yeah. recording this podcast. M- MJ Sherman just hit the list. Yes. He's an outside linebacker. It was Dan? Dan was his primary recorder, recruiter. Um, another guy from that class of 2020 was Singletary. I think both those guys are players Oregon should, will, could go after would make sense to go after they fill needs they provide depth and there's that past history there yeah I, I, just a, th- a thought and not even specifically to Singletary uh, or any of these Georgia players but you know Dan didn't hit Georgia really at all in the portal right the yeah. one kind of addition they took away was Jordan James had been committed to to Georgia and then kind of last minute Carlos Lachlan and he had a relationship ends up flipping to Oregon signs here. We all know the rest of that, but um, there are players in the portal from Georgia that are really good players, that players that Dan coached previously. And I just sort of wonder if we'll see now, now that there's a little separation, because I think it gets kind of weird when you're like, it's the same type of thing with Kenny Dillingham. I know they added Bram Walden, but like it gets weird when you're a former assistant coach leaving a program. And how much do you actively actually want to take players from, that previous spot because you're burning bridges but a year or two removed yeah georgia becomes kind of just like any other school i know they obviously aren't they're the best program in the country winning two straight national championships shoot they've they've, they've lost one game out of their last like 40 something i mean they're crazy Um, but my point is like now that we have a little time kind of to separate the newness of dan leaving and he is now all completely out on his own right i mean not that he wasn't last year but there's probably a sense of like kind of weird if you go out from a school and you're chatting with the players you coach to, to come on over to Eugene. There's a little bit of time now. I wouldn't be surprised, not saying it's going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. But I wouldn't be surprised to see over the next couple of years some of these Georgia guys that he recruited who maybe don't pan out with the Bulldogs give Oregon a really serious look. It would make a lot of sense. And if you're Oregon, you're going, it's a really nice potential pipeline to yeah. develop. Just 100%. like it's because now you can tap into some of the best talent in the country who doesn't make it. I know no one wants to hear like, oh, we're taking the retreats. But at the same time, the guys that don't cut it out at Georgia are probably better than a lot of the guys that cut it out at other schools across the country, yeah. and particularly in the Pac-12. Right, and that's the point that I was going to make. We're talking about guys who aren't starting at Georgia. And it's like, oh, they're not starting. It's like, yeah, well, they're, they're behind like first-round picks across the board. Like uh, MJ Sherman was behind uh, Nolan Smith, Aziz Ojolari. Uh, like these guys are – you know, first or second round picks. Um, like you're not Georgia had that. first rounders go that didn't even start last year. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I mean Jalen Carter, who's going to be a top five pick, didn't start for Georgia last year, and they still had the number one overall pick. Like it's just, it's just going to be. Uh, hopefully, it becomes some type of a pipeline for Oregon because those guys, you just give them a shot, just see what they have out here, and I think that's the least. That's the the absolute least you could do is just see what they have out here. Um, I was going to make a reference like it does seem interesting that the only guy Dan got was Jordan James and or what Kenny got was Bram Walden. It feels like there's almost like an unwritten agreement. Like in baseball, there can be written agreements. Like I know the Red Sox general manager, Heim Bloom, was was a former Tampa Bay Rays guy. He like they signed an agreement where he couldn't poach any of the Tampa Bay Rays like front office staff for a full two years. And then after that, it was open season. So um, the other, but the other thing is like kind of more of a downer, I would say 
if you are at Georgia, why leave? You know? You're just gonna even if you ride the bench, you're still gonna play for the Georgia Bulldogs and probably win a national. I think ultimately, I think ultimately most guys they want to play. I mean, it's just like Cam. Certainly, like, yeah, yeah. My counter to that actually would be if you're at Georgia and you've already won one or maybe two. At that point, it's kind of like I've already won the championships. Yeah, let's, yeah. Go, let's go get a role somewhere else. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, but I don't know. That's that's maybe that's just how I'm selfish about it. It's like eh, it could, you know, kind of. Kind of have fun while maybe not playing as much, maybe not being hurt, and then winning championship. That sounds pretty good. That's the uh, it's the old Chase Daniel playbook. Of, yeah, like, I mean, never playing and Chase backup Daniel's, quarterbacks, man. Chase Daniel's going to retire as like a hundred million dollars in the bank account after having made like two career starts. It's, it's the most incredible uh, career possible. Uh, Matt, Matt, I don't know, Matt. Like we've, we've seen this question a couple different variants. This question about players. I'll, 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 we'll just ask it. Yeah, that one exactly. Yeah, what do you, I, was, what, I had my. Cursor over it. I was waiting for you. As did I. What, what are your thoughts on this? Go ahead and read the question. What if the transfers pay their own college tuition and walk on the team, then get reimbursement from the NIL plus its salary? 85 scholarship limits won't mean much then. Um, my philosophy is this. Uh, if I can get my NIL money and my stipend from my scholarship, I'm doing both, and I want both. Yeah. If I can double dip, I'm going to double dip. Um I, I think it takes a, a very unique person to do the, to do what is being suggested. Um, I, I don't see many players, many people across the country, across the sport doing this, um, passing on scholarship money and just banking on NIL. I mean, it would have to take like exuberance amounts of NIL money to, to, to get these guys and, not take scholarship money, even if the scholarship money is so low. Yeah, I'm in the same place, and and, and a couple, just a couple of thoughts. First off, like as you said, you take the like the most selfless transfer ever to take all of this into consideration. Like, I mean, it's not quite a parallel, but you just think in professional sports of like, why does a quarterback get paid all of this money if, in theory, he could say, "I'm going to take less, so you can disperse the money around the roster and make us better." That happens like one time a decade, right? Like, it doesn't happen. People. People don't just say, yeah, I'm going to take less for the team very often. And I'm not saying that's yeah. a good thing mm-hmm. necessarily, right? There's a level of like, wow, that would be really cool if you did. Um, but most people just aren't wired that way. And especially when you're at your – potentially you're earning – Your peak or, yeah. Your peak close to it. If you're going to play in the NFL, obviously not. But like if you're a college athlete who isn't sure about playing in the NFL, like why are you going to pass up some financial stability and, and the scholarship and everything? And the other part is – it's not just the the scholarship experience uh, that you get. They, the the walk-ons don't get all of the little bells and whistles that the scholarship players get either, right? So there are certain things, and I don't know the day-to-day anymore. I don't know how it's changed because college football is changing so often. But there was a time where there were limitations made on who was getting uh, you know, meals every day. I don't think that's the case anymore because we certainly see walk-ons leaving yeah. the HDC with food. But they do now. They do now. There, but there was a time where that was the case. But there are restrict. Yeah. There are differences between the scholarship and the walk-on athletes, even in what they're able to do and, and kind of what they're given. So, um, I think you're, I think this is a pie in the sky idea. And shoot, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see a school try to pull something like this off and go, hey, yeah, no, we've only got eighty-five scholarship guys, but it's like, but don't you really have hundred and five scholarship guys? Like. I could see a school doing that. Maybe it'll be Oregon. I just I'm skeptical of the entire 
entire premise, sadly. Although it would be very convenient for this Oregon team, which is currently at 95 scholarship players. Yeah, and it just... If they could find 10 guys to say, hey, yeah, we won't – screw it. We're just going to not be on scholarship, and you guys are going to pay a bunch of NIL money. I, I just don't think it's very likely, personally. This just – it just wouldn't happen. And, like, to Matt's point, I like, I want my cake and I want to eat it too. It's as simple as that. Like, why would I sacrifice and, – and if you're an NIL – person if you're somebody who contributes to to players let's say you're going to offer a player forty thousand dollars to come to eugene on a scholarship well now you got to bump that to 80 because now you now you have to pay for them to have that same amount of money and then have that money to pay off all of the tuition that that this person will be paying for um it's just silly you're just spending more money regardless um and i uh, the, the the question asker whose name was ducky also puts if a transfer is making a million dollars a season, they'll have enough for tuition uh, plus to live on is what he's saying, which is true. If, if you're making a million dollars a year, I would certainly hope that you would have enough money to a pay tuition and b live off of it. However, what are the odds that you're giving that you're not giving a scholarship to a high school football player that you're paying a million dollars to, to come to your program like that, that person's getting a scholarship a hundred percent. So I mean, yeah, like Eric said, I could see a college program doing this, but why? Just, I, I well, guess, it, to have, like, to, to, to bend the rules and just have more scholarship-level players. I, I, I guess, sure, yeah, why not? But then you run into an even bigger problem because now you have 105 scholarship players. All those guys are going to transfer out to go get actual scholarships or to go actually get playing time. Well, yeah, and that was going to be my point, which is, I think, a really fair one and needs to be said of having 10 extra scholarship guys is great, like, in terms of, hey, you've got more talent around, but on paper, yeah. you're still only able to play 11 on the field at once, and there's going to be a lot of guys who aren't on the field. Like, think of how many, think about this practice, this, this offseason of the 17 now guys, I think, who've transferred out, I want to say only... The two tight ends and Dante Thornton were playing sizable roles at the end of the season. So 14 of the guys, you know, 15 of the guys, 14 of the guys, whatever it is, transferred out in part because they just weren't playing here. So you're going to bring in another 10 players where those guys probably there's going to be the same kind of situation where there's a lot of guys who aren't playing and they mm -hmm. leave. So I, I don't see a huge benefit of that in the long term you could convince me of like maybe in the short term one season hey maybe it's great that you're able to get this guy to come over and, and, and now it helps but you think about it your back and 10 guys on scholarship anyway aren't going to be contributors shoot your back 25 guys aren't going to be contributors having 95 to me doesn't seem like a huge a huge benefit to the team and certainly doesn't feel like it benefits the individual and then my last point before we move on to another question matt um there, the, the uh, and again, these are these NIL packages aren't made public, but I don't think a lot of guys are being paid a million dollars a season, period. Um, and the guys that are are such highly rate regarded players that I just like to, to convince hypothetically if it's Bo Nix or somebody of that caliber at a position like that, or a Jordan Birch, the guys that maybe would theoretically be making that kind of money to convince one of those guys you're not going to be on scholarship. I just think that's far fetched to me. And the guys that are getting paid close to seven figures, not even seven figures, but near it, it I would be I would be blown away that 
it's all coming from one or two sources uh, of deals. Mm -hmm. it, it's probably upwards of 10 or more kind of agreements with whether it's like Bonex, for instance, had a deal with Bose headphones at the end of the college football season. Like it would be something like that where you get Bose headphones, maybe you do something with Chick-fil-A, which he did. Um, and then there's a couple of other instances where, you know, some huge chunks of money come in. Um, and that's how they get to that large number. It's not just one deal that's bringing in $850,000. Thank, thanks, Matt, for communicating that part. Because I think we get stuck sometimes in the NIL stuff. And it's the, th the thought is, oh, the school's paying in this much money. The school is, is not funneling a million dollars to a player. It is a bunch of different marketing you know, brands that are using right. these players for like, there has to be something there, there. This is not just one person giving them all the money. I think Matt did a good job of explaining that, which I hope kind of lays. Yeah, it's not just one, some of the, one check. Yeah. Like here, here, Bo, here's X amount of dollars. <laughs> uh, I just want to throw this one up there. Uh, Eric Johnson asks, are there any rules around NIL? No. Really, 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 no. <laughs> there are very many. <laughs> no. It's basically the wild, wild west. Um, and like, I'm going to end the, the podcast with this question. We're going to pose our own question to end it here. Ooh, like, oh. I entered the portal yesterday. Um, Omar Spites, first team linebacker uh, in the Pac 12 at Oregon State this past season, has like 300 career tackles. Should Oregon go after him? It's a position. One year of eligibility. Yeah. You know, it's a position where, again, I have been so critical of linebacker play, and I think rightfully so. Um, I don't I don't see why not. Like, he kind of fits what we're talking about where it's a plug-and-play person, right? Yeah. Um, and he's out of the program in a year. Yeah, and you don't have to worry about the scholarship building up. Um, Oregon's linebacker situation isn't great. That continue, we were going to open this podcast as like strengths and weaknesses of the roster going into the season. We're going to push that back and probably do that next week. Um, I think linebacker is probably one of the positions that's right near the top, along with along with probably corner and safety in terms of just you. There aren't enough. I don't want to say aren't enough proven players, but you're you're certainly not confident with what you've got. So, yeah, I think Spice is a player to look at, I think Oregon in general, some sort of inside linebacker with experience. I think a one-year player is, is, is probably preferable um, if you can find one. The question then becomes, and maybe this is a good question, is could, could in theory, if you bring in two portal players to both start at inside linebacker, and that would be Jacobs and Spites in this hypothetical, could that push Jeffrey Bossa yeah. to go back to nickel or somewhere else in the defensive backfield? I don't know if he can – I'm not sure he's – you know, it's funny because he's known to be a f explosive athlete. I haven't seen enough, certainly, for him to be explosive enough to play safety. But that hybrid spot, that could be a nice fit for him. I've always kind of thought that that was the role he was playing back in 2021 before um, a rash of injuries hit that linebacking core and he was forced to move spots. So, like, that could be – maybe that's – maybe we talked earlier on the show, like, there's no clear-cut – nickel necessarily maybe that's how this plays out oregon goes and, and finds two quality inside linebackers maybe there's a guy in the roster maybe it's keith brown and that pushes Boston to nickel but no i think spites makes a quite a bit of sense i don't know how that would sit in corvallis probably not very well but you know it's 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 kind yeah. of business these days and uh i've, I've seen crazy i've seen crazier things happen with the portal yeah and i i think spates would be a welcomed addition i don't 
like it's a linebacker and somebody who has multiple years of starting experience. Um, like Matt said, he's somebody who's just racked up the career tackles um, and provides an opportunity for Oregon to, I mean, this all depends if Spates is willing to, to go to Oregon. Um, he's originally from Philadelphia. So that's a, that's a hard one. He did go to Crescent Valley high school. So again, he's, he's a West coast guy. He's an East coast transplant. Um, but it, would he go to Oregon? Maybe. I'm sure he would if the money is right, if Oregon wants to do that. Um, he finished this year with 83 tackles and eight tackles for loss, um, which would lead Oregon in both departments. Or no, eight tackles for loss. I think Oregon had somebody higher than eight tackles for loss. But eight three tackles absolutely would lead Oregon as a team. Um, and that would be a welcomed addition alongside Justin Jacobs, who I made the case for earlier about how good of a linebacker he could be. Um, Spates is a smaller guy. He'd probably be better in coverage compared to Jacobs. Um, yeah, I mean, there's still 13, so there's still five more days until the transfer portal window closes. There's still guys who are who could pop up during spring, the spring portal as well. Um, I think Oregon's probably – if I were Oregon, I would see where my linebacking group is at during spring practice and then kind of make an assessment there um, and then hope that somebody jumps into the portal. But – I mean, going after Spates would be a good idea too if you're if you're the Ducks. Um, I think it's a very convincing position, and I do like what you what you guys were saying about um, Jeffrey Bassa. Maybe he, if you get another linebacker, you tell Bassa to cut weight, go back to that nickel safety position, which I think would be just a perfectly natural fit for him to play in um, with his coverage and his tackling ability. So maybe it works out. Um, sure, why not? Oregon, you have my permission to go after Omar Spates. Congrats. Oh, well. <laughs> Significant for that. We'll let Dan know. Yeah, no, let him know. I, I allow him. Jared signed off. He's got the Mac sign yeah. off. Yep. All right. That's all you need. That's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Uh, thank you for asking the questions during our live stream. Again, we'll continue to do these on Fridays. Uh, looking forward to the next one. Uh, next week, we've got the mailbag. We've also got a conversation with Brandon Marcillo that will come out uh, later in the week and then the live stream. Plus, who knows? There may be more news that transpires that, that requires. It's, I mean, at some point, they have to hire a safeties coach, Matt. They yep, sure do. At some point. At some point. Or maybe Gorgon's going to go the unorthodox route and not have one. <laughs> that would be very unorthodox. <laughs> We're just going to have less coaches <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> for no reason. All right. Uh, until the next one, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.